Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the recent election in the USA, an event which you've probably followed over the past couple of weeks, maybe months. But today we're going to discuss it in a bit more detail. We've organized this topic around four different questions which allow us to think about the winner of the election, the loser, and what it means for the future. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you find out a little bit more about a big political change that is happening in one of the biggest democracies in the world. I'm recording this podcast two weeks after election night, which was on November the 3rd, 2020. The results this year took longer than usual to come in, and that's because lots of Americans chose to send their votes by mail rather than voting in person. These votes take longer to count, and so it took a few days before the winner of the election could be officially announced. So, the answer to our first question, who won the election, is a pretty straightforward one. It was won by the Democratic candidate, Joe Biden. He now becomes the president-elect. And on November the 3rd, he gained his victory over Donald Trump, who I'm sure you know has been president since 2016 and was the candidate for the Republican Party. President-elect Joe Biden will become president on the 20th of January 2021, and that's because in the American presidential system, there's a period of a couple of months between an election and the start of a new presidency. All of this is straightforward, but it raises a couple of other questions. What do we know about the man who will be the next American president? And how do you win the presidency in the first place? Well, we'll start with the first of those. What do we know about him? On the 20th of January, 2021, Joe Biden will become the oldest person ever to become president at the age of 78. Presidents in America serve for four years, so at the end of his first term, he will be 82. Considering his age, it is expected that he probably won't run for a second term. Running for a term means running to be president a second time. And American presidents are only allowed two terms. So if he would be 82 at the end of his first term, it seems unlikely that he would run for a second term. Joe Biden has actually run for president twice before, and both times he failed. In fact, he was never chosen to represent the Democratic Party as the party's candidate until 2020. He's also a very experienced politician. 
Biden became a senator in 1973, and he served in that job for over 30 years. He also served as the vice president to President Barack Obama, who was elected in 2008 and again in 2012. So Biden has plenty of experience in the White House, and he knows this institution very well. What else do we know about him? We know about his politics. He's considered to be a moderate. Now, what does that mean? It means he's a centrist. In the Democratic Party, there is a progressive wing on the left and a moderate wing, which is more on the right of the party. Biden is more from the moderate wing. He has a history of cooperating with Republicans, the other party, And that's something that Americans call bipartisanship. His ability to work with people who have other political views. He's proved that he can be bipartisan and do deals with Republicans in order to achieve centrist policies. So his presidency doesn't seem to be groundbreaking. It doesn't seem to be something radically new. But there are aspects of it which are groundbreaking, and those aspects are not so much because of Biden himself, but because of his choice of vice president, Kamala Harris. Harris will become the first female vice president, the first black vice president, and the first vice president from an Asian background. Now, Given the fact that Biden is going to be such an old president, there is a good chance that Kamala Harris would be well-placed to run for the presidency in 2024 or 2028. So, coming back to something I mentioned earlier, there is no doubt that Biden has won the election two weeks after the election date. But how do you actually win an election? Well, that's not such an easy question to answer. When a candidate gets over the line and wins the presidency, it's traditional for the other candidate to concede. In other words, to say, I have lost and you are the winner. That's what it means to concede. Now, that hasn't happened yet even though it's clear that Biden has won the election. One recent poll, a survey of opinion, showed that only 3% of Americans think that Trump has won the election. But the president is still claiming that he's won. And last night, he sent out a tweet in capital letters saying that he had won the election. It's very important for me to say that this is clearly not true. I'm recording this when all 50 states have been called, and the results are very clear. By the way, we say that states are called. In other words, we know who has won the state, and it's impossible for the other party to win it. Now to the question of how do you actually get the votes to win an election. Well, in America, it's not a popular vote, unlike 
many other democracies. Instead of just getting over 50% of the votes or more votes than the other candidate, you have to win in a system that is called the Electoral College. Now, to get these Electoral College votes, you have to win over states, and each state is worth a number of Electoral College votes. You need 270 Electoral College votes to win an election. Joe Biden has got 306, whereas Trump got 232. So Biden has won fairly comfortably. As I mentioned, to get these Electoral College votes, you have to win over the states. There are 50 states in the USA. Each state is worth a certain number of Electoral College votes. For example, California, the biggest state, is worth 55 Electoral College votes. Small states like Vermont are worth three Electoral College votes. So they're not all worth the same. This number is calculated based on the population size in each state. Although it's a little bit more complicated than that, I'm not going to go into all of the details about it. So you have to win over a number of states in order to get to that magic number, 270. And of course, some states are a lot more valuable than others. If you win over a state, the Electoral College votes are not shared between the two parties. Let me give you an example. If you win, for example, Oregon, and you win by just 100 votes, or by 100,000 votes, it really doesn't make a difference. The seven Electoral College votes for Oregon will all go to the party that won in that state. Can you win the election, therefore, without winning more votes than another candidate? Yes, you can. And in fact, that has happened five times in the history of the USA. It happened three times in the 1800s. It never happened in the 1900s, but it's happened twice since the year 2000. It happened in the 2000 election and in the 2016 election. Both times the election was won by a Republican candidate. The reason that this can happen is because not all states are equally valuable. And out of the 50 states, there are around 20 that reliably vote for Democrats. And there are around 20 states that reliably vote for Republicans. But in between those, there are around 10 states that could vote for the Republicans or for the Democrats. These are called swing states. And this is where almost all of the campaigning in the election takes place. One consequence of this is that if you live in California, which reliably always votes Democrat, your vote is unlikely to make a big difference. But if you live in Florida, which is often very close and flips between Republican and Democrat, your vote is worth a lot. And as I mentioned already, if you win a state by 100 votes 
or by a hundred thousand votes, or even by five million votes, it makes no difference at all in terms of the electoral college. So that is why it's possible to win the presidency without winning the popular vote, because the electoral college does not accurately reflect the votes that have been cast. Now, in the 2020 election, Joe Biden won both the electoral college and the popular vote. The second question that I want to answer today is, why did Joe Biden win? Well, in fact, Joe Biden didn't just win. He actually won with more votes than have ever been given to a candidate in American history. One reason why he won is because he was such a strong candidate against Trump. If you compare Joe Biden to Hillary Clinton, who lost to Trump in 2016, Biden is far more liked by the American people. He's not seen as elite, which Clinton was. He's the son of a car salesman. Whereas, on the other hand, Clinton was connected to her husband, who had been president in the 1990s, and was perceived as being part of a social and political elite. So being seen as more of a common man helped Biden to win over working class voters. Many of them, especially white working class voters, had voted for Trump in 2016, and Biden was able to bring them back to the Democrats. A second reason why Biden won is because he seemed to be the right president for the moment. Biden himself has had a history of personal loss in his life. Why is that relevant? Well, the COVID pandemic has killed a quarter of a million people in the USA. This means that a lot of voters in the 2020 election knew someone who had died or become seriously ill, or they had themselves experienced personal loss within their family or amongst their friends. Biden connects with these people partly because of his personal history. When he had been elected to work as a senator, Biden's life was turned upside down when his wife and daughter died in a car crash. His two sons were also in the car and they were badly injured. Biden later experienced more personal loss when his son, Beau Biden, died of brain cancer in 2015. The fact that he has grieved so much in his life, that he has lost so many who were close to him, really allows him to empathise with voters who have lost loved ones in a way which a lot of other politicians are not able to do. In terms of the coronavirus, he is also perceived as a safe pair of hands. He's seen as being more pragmatic. He is not an extremist. 
He appears to be sensible. He believes in science. And all of these things are very important if you're trying to combat a global pandemic. Another reason why Biden succeeded is because he was very well supported. He had a lot of financial support. To give you an example, at the beginning of October, a month before the election, the Biden campaign had $144 million more than Trump. This allowed Biden to run advertising campaigns in all the swing states and made Trump's life very difficult. Now, money isn't everything in an election, but in 2020, it really counted for a lot. And this is because in-person campaigning, campaigning yourself in front of crowds became very difficult, especially for an older and more vulnerable candidate like Joe Biden. Having that financial backing really helped. And finally, I believe Biden won because he was very tactical about which states he focused on. He spent a lot of time and money campaigning in Pennsylvania. It turned out that Pennsylvania was the state that got him over the line, as we say, that gave him the 270 electoral votes he needed, and therefore gave him the presidency. As well as understanding why Biden won, we have to look at the other side of the coin and ask, why did Trump lose? Trump didn't lose by a huge amount. He got 47% of the vote, which is fairly high in American politics. He won 24 states, including Florida, a state that is often very close and often votes Democrat. However, it is very unusual for a sitting president, in other words, a president who has only done one term, to lose re-election. Only four presidents have lost re-election in the past hundred years, and Trump is the latest to do so. So why did he not manage to win more votes? I think we've got to start by looking at his personality. A lot of people found President Trump very offensive. He enjoyed breaking the rules, speaking his mind, being outrageous and unacceptable. For example, not wearing a mask in public. Well, this might have appealed to some people, but it went down pretty badly with a lot of the population. Parents, for example, had to explain to their children why the president was disobeying rules, but why they still had to be careful and wear a mask, for example. Trump attacked the media throughout his presidency, not just the media on the left and the centre of the political spectrum, but even news media on the right. Now, even if they didn't find Trump offensive, a lot of people just became exhausted by the way that Trump 
dominated the news. They were tired of having a president who was so confrontational, so aggressive, and so self-centered. Then we've got to look at Trump's policies. He made policy choices that a lot of people disliked. He pursued a foreign policy that many people found troubling and strange. He made unusual choices in terms of foreign leaders that he became close to, such as the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un, whom Trump called a friend. And at home, too, domestically in the United States, Trump seemed to want to move the USA away from a democratic system. As early as July, he said that he wanted to postpone the election and then later said that the results would be fraudulent. In other words, that the results would be lying. And perhaps the most important policy failure under Trump was his response to the coronavirus. In fact, he was broadly seen to have not had a response to it. Many Americans did realise that the virus was a global crisis and therefore not his fault. But still, many believed that his response was disturbing. For example, his suggestion that people should inject bleach, a cleaning product, into their blood. Trump left the 50 states to compete with each other for protective equipment. He was not interested in any kind of federal policy to help the states, any kind of policy organized by the presidency and which could be implemented across the country. Whereas most other countries praised their scientific advisors, Trump attacked his most senior scientific advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, a man who, in fact, was the most trusted public figure in the country during much of the pandemic. I want to finish this section with one possible explanation for Trump's failure, but also for the 70 million votes that he did receive. There is no doubt that Trump was the most unorthodox president of the modern era, the most unusual rule-breaking president, perhaps in all of American history. He completely transformed the presidency and transformed American politics. But this is exactly what he was elected to do. This is what he promised to do in 2016, what his supporters wanted him to do. So even if it looks shocking to the rest of the world... In some ways, Trump did his job. It's just that more of the country, this time in 2020, opposed this political transformation than before. For our last section today, I want to look ahead and answer the question... Is this the end of the Trump era? Well, 70 million people voted for Trump. There is still clearly a huge appetite for a leader like Trump. 
Another point that is important is that this general election was not just for the presidency, it was also for the Senate and for the House of Representatives and many other political positions. Well, the Republicans did very well in both of those, in the Senate and the House of Representatives. It was really not a bad election for the Republican Party, as lots of people voted for Republican candidates. They just didn't vote as much for the Republican candidate for president. And although Trump didn't do as well as these other politicians, there's no doubt that the Republican Party is still strong. Now, that actually means that Trump is still strong because he is the leader of the Republican Party. In some ways, the Republican Party is the vehicle that Trump is driving, if you will excuse that metaphor. And this could be important in the future. There are rumours that Trump is considering a run for president in 2024. It would be, in my opinion, a big mistake to think that the Republican Party would drop Trump or that he would lose to a Democratic opponent. He proved in 2016 that he can do very well in elections, even when he's considered to have little chance. Even if Trump doesn't run in 2024, it seems likely that the next Republican candidate will be someone in the same mould as Trump. In other words, someone who is similar or close to Trump. That could be his daughter, Ivanka, or his son, Donald Jr. It could be one of the other populist political figures in the Republican Party who have modelled themselves on Trump. Another reason why this is not the end of the Trump era is that he has fundamentally changed the democratic processes in America. This year, he discredited the election. In other words, he said that we can't trust it. He said that there would be widespread voter fraud and that millions of dead people were voting by mail. Well, this is not true, but he still said it. He refused to say that he would hand over power peacefully if he lost. As votes were being counted, Trump was doing everything he could to try to get the counting to stop. And now he is fighting a number of legal battles in courts to try to challenge and reverse election results in various states. Now, I believe that Democracy exists in many different forms across the world, and there are lots of different examples of successful democracies, but there is no doubt that many countries look to the United States as an example of democratic politics. That may no longer be the case in the future, now that the two central ideas democratic politics are under threat. One, counting all the votes, and two, the peaceful transition of power. Yesterday, President
Barack Obama did an interview with the BBC where he was very frank, very honest about his perspective on this question. He argued that Americans are less interested in what is true and what is false, something which he called truth decay. He said, truth decay has contributed enormously to these divisions. This is something which is really closely linked to the Trump presidency, one which has welcomed anti-Democrat conspiracy theories and attacked prominent Democrats with no evidence. Is this something that is going to end anytime soon? Well, Obama's answer is the following. He said, it's going to take more than one election to reverse those trends. What's clear is that Obama does not believe that this is the end of Trump's style of politics. And it seems to me as well that the Trump era is going to go on for some time, even though he will be out of power from the 20th of January. Even once he is out of office, the consequences of his presidency are going to be felt for some time, not only in the USA, but across the whole world. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, if you have any questions or suggestions, you can always send us an email at intermediatepods at gmail.com. I will get back to you as soon as I can. In the meantime, please rate the podcast on whatever platform you use and tell your friends and families about it. That's all from me. Have a great week and see you next time.